0: Okay, well, if you would turn with me to Ruth chapter 3, pick up in the third chapter of Ruth this morning, um, third, of, uh, third of four chapters, so almost at the end of the book of Ruth here. Um, if you turn with me there, uh, just to, by way of, of a brief recap, talking about what we've talked about so far to kind of help us understand the story. I mean, Ruth is, is a story. It's written from, in chronological order, just telling us this account of, of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Um, so we started... In in Ruth chapter 1, and we just saw this kind of, um, this continual building up of of tragic events that happened in the life of Naomi, Uh, that first we read there in in chapter 1, verse 1, that it was in the time of the judges, which was, we've talked about, was just a time of of moral anarchy and and debauchery and evil in Israel's history, and there was a famine in the land, Um, so the, the land flowing with milk and honey, Bethlehem, translated to the house of bread with no bread, um, there is no, there's no food. And then it says they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Um, they've left the promised land. God's people have left God's the land that he's allotted to them um, and, and gone to seek their own way in, in a pagan nation of Moab. So even just in the first three verses, we get just tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. of Famine, um, a dark time in, in the history of Israel, and then we see God's people leaving the land that he's brought them into, the land that he's promised to, to bless them with and in. Uh, and then we see... So then we're introduced to two our main characters. We have Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. Um, they they go into Moab. They remain there. Uh, Elimelech dies, but Naomi So Naomi is widowed, but she still has two sons. They take foreign wives, which again, in, in some ways, looking through the, the lens of the law, is, is tragic in its own way to see God's people marrying um, pagan, pagan wives, which is something that is probably um, not advisable, not um, right under, under the law. Uh, and yet that's what they do. And then they both die. So then we let there at the end of the, the just in the first five verses, we get, uh, that, the kind of haunting final verse there in five that the woman is left without her sons and her, and her husband, her two sons and her husband, that Naomi has been emptied of everything she has. She's in a foreign nation. Um, she's lost her husband. She's lost both of her sons. And now she's away from home with nothing left. Um, so she rises. She hears that there's food again in Israel. She hears in the fields of Moab that, there's, that, God has, that the famine is over. God has blessed his people, visited his people, and given them food. Uh, and so she returns with her daughters-in-law to head back to, to Israel, um, and along the way encourages them to, to turn back. Orpah does. Um, and Ruth cleaves to her and vows to her that until death she will not depart from her. And, and we see that great profession of faith that, she'll say, that she says, your people shall be my people and your God my God that um, though we see this as probably primarily a vow to Naomi that we still see um, her claiming Yahweh as her God, the God of Israel is her God. Uh, We see that faith worked out as we moved into chapter 2, that we see that small glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1, that they return in the time of barley harvest. And then when we began chapter 2, we read of Ruth going out to the fields to glean. So we see her faith working itself out in in action, of not just simply sitting around, waiting for the Lord to bless them, but she goes out to the field to glean among whom, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So that's the beginning of chapter two, that she's just trusting the Lord, that she knows, we don't know her knowledge of, of Jewish laws and customs, but she seems to have a concept that the Lord cares for the widowed, the orphan, the sojourner, the alien. He cares for those people. And because of that, she goes out in faith to glean in a field, and we're introduced to Boaz, a worthy man, a relative of Elimelech, so we're kind of the hope is starting to show. We're saying, okay, so Naomi's empty, but yet she's gone back to the promised land. Okay, that's good. We're, there's there's a little bit of hope. And then there in the time of the barley harvest, okay, there's food. Okay, we have a little bit of hope. Okay, and then we're introduced to Boaz. He's a relative. He's a worthy man. Okay, maybe there's, maybe we're, maybe we're getting somewhere. Maybe Naomi's emptiness isn't forever, perhaps. Um, perhaps God is, is going to bless Naomi despite um, the horrible start to this story, um, the sin that, that overshadows much of the beginning of this story. Perhaps God will still bless uh, and work through Naomi. So we read of, of Boaz richly blessing Ruth. She goes to his field. Boaz blesses her with, with allowing her to glean more than, than the law requires, giving her water, inviting him to, to dinner at the table with his servants, and then sending her home with this huge dog food size bag of flour, of 50 or so pounds of flour, of barley, um, of just this great sign of his overabundant kindness towards Ruth. Um, but we read at the end of chapter 2, I didn't highlight this much the last time, but it um, says at the end of chapter 2 in verse 23 that she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see there's still there's still work to be done. She's living with her mother-in-law, the, the the ark has not yet been completed. That she's, she has food. They're back in. They're back in Israel. They have food again. They're no longer wanting for food, but yet she's still with. She's still living with her mother-in-law. She's still unmarried. She's still a widow, uh, and that's where we we move into chapter three, and we start getting uh, closer to to what we see is that the full completion of, of Ruth becoming married to Boaz and, and having Obed to carry on the name of Elimelech and, and finally um, Obed being the the grandfather of, of King David. So any questions on, on those first two chapters before we move into to chapter 3 and kind of where we're headed to this morning? Okay. Well, I will go ahead and read chapter 3 for us, and then we'll work through, work through that. So it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, it, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning. But arose before one could recognize another, and he said, "Let it be known that the woman came." Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, "Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out." So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "How did you fare, my daughter?" Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, "These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law." She replied, "Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today." So we see uh, three different sections here. We see in the first um the first five verses, we see Naomi's plan. She has this plan, this this master plan of of Ruth going to Boaz and and proposing marriage. We'll talk about that, uh, kind of that image of of what she says that specifically can hint to us that she's proposing marriage. And then we see Ruth go down to the threshing floor. Uh, We see Boaz's response, and then her returning to Naomi, reconvening and, and discussing what had happened. So those are kind of our main sections that we see here. So just beginning um, in, in verse 1, we see, we see the beginning of, of Naomi's plan, that her mother-in-law says to her, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. So I think the first thing we ought to notice here is that in chapter 2, it was Ruth that had great faith, that she said, okay, let me go out to glean in the fields. Maybe I'll find someone in whom I may find found favored. And we read that she happens into the field of Boaz by divine providence. She just happens to walk into Boaz's field um, and Boaz blesses her richly. And now it's Naomi. Now it's Naomi that seems to have some sort of hope, some sort of faith that says, okay, perhaps this Boaz, he's blessed us so abundantly and richly with food. He's a worthy man. Perhaps he'd be willing to, to take this last step of, of marrying you um, and redeeming our, redeeming our family. So she says, um, should I not seek rest for you? And we, we've discussed this briefly in chapter 1, um When Naomi encourages her daughters-in-law to turn back to go to Moab, we read in verses uh, let's just read chapter one verse nine, it says, "The Lord grant that ye may find rest each of you in the house of her husband." and she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So it seems clear that, that what Naomi is is seeking for her daughters and what she encouraged them to turn back to Moab for is to be remarried to you, you're young, you're you're widowed, but go back to your go back to Moab. Go back to your parents' house. Help them find you a new husband. Be remarried and live your life. Let me go back to Israel and die alone by myself. Is basically what she says. So here we still see Naomi. That's her goal. Should I not seek rest for you? That, that idea of rest, resting um, with a husband, of having a husband with which Naomi Ruth may be able to, to truly find rest. Um, so we see that's kind of what Naomi is building up to, and then she sits, then she reminds. Ruth that Boaz is their relative um, and that somehow she has this information that he's going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor And uh, just by way of context the threshing floor was just um, kind of like a wide open barn that they would go to uh, they would crush the crush the grain, crush the barley and then throw it into the air And it would be, they would do it at evening time when the breeze was flowing through the barn and the chaff um, and the, the, the undesirable parts of the of the grain and barley would be blown away in the wind and the the grain would fall to the floor, so it was, it was a communal space in which all of the harvesters came, threshed their their wheat and their grain, um, and then we read later that Boaz would they would sleep next to their their pile of grain. We'll get there in a moment. So, um, Naomi encourages her daughter to wash, anoint herself, um, just anointing herself with perfumes, just making herself pleasant. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Uh, and I think something I want to make clear that we'll talk about more as we go through this passage is, is that nothing here seems to indicate that Ruth is doing anything to become seductive in any way, but is simply just making herself pleasant, washing herself, anointing herself, putting on nice clothes, and going down to the threshing floor. There's nothing here that would indicate that she's trying to, to seduce Boaz or or make herself um, sensual in that way, but simply just seeking to, to make herself pleasant um, Matthew Henry had a a quote I found helpful on this. It says, Naomi therefore orders her daughter to make herself clean and neat, not to make herself fine. Wash yourself and anoint yourself. Do not paint yourself as Jezebel. Put on your raiment, but not the attire of a harlot, and go down to the floor. So just um, Matthew Henry bringing out that the truth that it's just simply a making herself pleasant, making herself clean and neat, and not a painting herself or um, putting on the attire of a harlot, but simply just... um, making herself pleasant in that way. So um, she tells her when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and he'll tell you what to do. So uh, pay attention to where he lies. Again, it's a communal space. Don't want to lie down to the wrong, next to the wrong person. Uh, we'll talk about, um, this is a pretty risky plan. Um, we, chapter two talked about the, the real prospect of being assaulted or harassed in the fields during the daylight. So imagine um, how much more danger Ruth may have been in and on the threshing floor at night amongst all these, amongst all the men in the, in the dark of night. Um, so it'd be important that she observes where Boaz lies down. Uh, doesn't go to the wrong person. And then to go and uncover his feet and lie down. Um, we'll discuss in a, in a bit more of the imagery in the story, but it still seems, it seems most clear that it's just, perhaps, uh, just a method to stir him awake. Just uncover his feet. Perhaps through the, the cold on his feet, he'll, he'll stir awake and, um, and notice you lying at his feet. Um, and Ruth just responds simply, "All that you'll say, I will do." So, just to kind of summarize this section before we move into Ruth's um, moving on, uh, Ruth's completion of, of this mission that Naomi sent her on. Um, on the face of it, um, we can see this as being a bit risky or foolish that Naomi's kind of sent Ruth out in this on this mission of uh, of great risk or or foolishness. The ESV Expository Commentary um, asks. Uh, kind of just a rhetorical question. Um I just asked, does Naomi's plan negatively illustrate maternal manipulation and ungodly pragmatism? the answer from the ESV expository commentary is no, but I think it's still a question that may spike in our minds of saying, is is Naomi just simply sending Ruth on this mission to manipulate her, to just try to get what she wants, trying to to twist God's arm into saying, okay, if if we're not gonna if Boaz isn't gonna propose to you, then we're just gonna we're just gonna go ahead and, and try try this dangerous mission to try to get what, what we want, what, what I think would be best for myself. I think it, it truly does show Naomi's heart that she truly does desire to, for, for Ruth to be married, um,